Welcome back, everybody, to Innovative Leadership. I'm Ryan Stickle. With me, as always, is Stephanie Hurd. Good morning. And thank you for joining us today. We have an awesome guest with us. Tony Bowie is with us. She is the founder and managing partner of Max Life LLC. Tony, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you. Uh, before we jump into it, as we do with all our guests, do you just want to tell us a little bit about yourself? what you do, and how you got there. Sure. As you said, I'm the managing partner of Max Life LLC. And Max Life LLC, it is a training and coaching organization. And our cornerstone is actually diversity, equity, and inclusion. So we go into other corporations, other businesses, other agencies, and really just help them to to, to understand what DEI, and you'll hear me say DEI, what DEI is, and how to really maximize what they have when it comes to incorporating DEI into the organization. Nice. And that's what we do. Gotcha. So if you want to take us back in your career, and you can pick whatever point you want to jump in on. Okay. It could be college. It could be a particular job that kind of jump-started you on this path that you've been on. Okay. On this path to DEI. Wow. It sounds like an easy question, but it's not really an easy answer. Right. And it could be multiple <laughs> answers, right? It actually is because a few things got me to where I am today. I'll say this. Growing up, my father was military. And so we had an opportunity to live in many different areas, stateside and overseas. And so we had, we were exposed. That's what we were. We were exposed to different cultures and different people from a variety of places. I often say that exposure is really priceless. So I had that in my background. Then I married a military man. More travel, more travel. And one of my, one of my first professional positions was teaching English as a second language in Japan. And when I taught that, I had I had about nine different ethnicities in the class, nine different languages, and we had a blast. We had an <laughs> absolute blast. And that gave me a lot more exposure with different cultures as well. And even before then, I lived in a place I lived in Columbus, Mississippi. Columbus, Mississippi is my home. And when we went to Columbus, we w- well, we went to Columbus really because my father was going to Vietnam for his second tour. And my mother wanted to live close to her mother while my dad was there. And so we moved back. And that's my parents are from that area as well. So we moved back south. And I was in Columbus, Mississippi. And one of the things that I was also exposed to was unfairness. It was unfairness based on a person's skin color. And I got to see that firsthand. And coming from places where that wasn't so prevalent, at least maybe I was too young to see it, I'm not quite sure, but it didn't stand out so much. And so then when we started seeing that and it was more noticeable, we just really recognized, hmm, there's something wrong here. <laughs> there's something really wrong here. And having the, the opportunity to kind of put those two together, and then I started really a career in higher education. And my career in higher education started 
as I came to Frederick, Maryland, which is where I live and have lived for a number of years. Um, you know, I live in Frederick, but there's this thing called Fredericktonians. Yay, yay, Fredericktonians. I'm married to a Fredericktonian. But unless you're born and raised there, you're not really a Fredericktonian. So it's my second home. Gotcha. <laughs> my second home is Frederick. Great family there. Uh, started a career in higher education. Well, actually, no, didn't start it right there. It started in, in Japan, but I came to Frederick and continued it. Mm. And as I did that, my, my area became minority affairs. So I'm going back some years. I'm going back over 30 years as I'm trying to remember all of this as we chit chat. Mm-hmm. Um, it was minority affairs. That's what it was titled then. And I did that at several different colleges, recruiter, administrator, associate dean. And I, 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 found, my, I found my calling. That's what I did. I found my calling and I found my passion. And it was a tough passion. Um, it, it's in an area that's not always a welcome area. And so uh, it's, it's tough sometimes. It's tough. And I took a little step back for a little while and really worked at my training. And at one time, I started to look for a new job. I left higher ed and started look, looking for a new job, left for a while. And I couldn't find any positions in diversity, in inclusion. They just weren't there. And so I said, okay, I'm going to have to create this thing. And that's literally how I got started. I just wow. kind of created it. And people have been wonderful. People have been gracious. People have been accepting and they have just kept us afloat. So we're very, we're very grateful for all of that. Nice. Uh, so with your passion being diversity and inclusion, do you feel like you ended up in higher education because that was kind of the, the lane that gave you the opportunity to pursue that? Or was there something else about higher education that kind of drew you in? Okay. So I ended up in higher education living in Japan and just imagine on a military post, there, there's, there are things to do, but it's kind of limited. It's kind of limited. So working, working at the education center was one of the opportunities. And so I just naturally went that route. And I enjoyed it, loved it, worked for um, a major institution, can I say the name of it? Sure. Actually, it was the University of Maryland overseas. Wow. And um, one of our one of their one of their taglines or logos was the sun never sets on the University of Maryland, because at that time they were just everywhere, and they're still everywhere. Um, and so that got me into higher ed. And then when we left, when we left Japan, and we eventually settled here in in Maryland in Frederick. There were some institutions close by, so I went that route as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so there was something about working, like you said, with so many people, so many different ethnicities, mm-hmm. and then coming back and mm-hmm. seeing that wasn't really the case where you were living. It was, it was different. It was 
um, there just wasn't as much opportunity. And that was kind of, was that like an aha moment or was that just over time as you grew up and maybe you started to notice more things? A little bit of both. Let me say it like that. A little bit of both. Knowing, um, so growing up and seeing that there was not quite as much, we'll say opportunity right now, just to simplify it, opportunity. And then we're going to, we're going to add fairness in there as well. Fairness. Um, that, that, that sticks with you. It, Mm -hmm. It really does stick with you. And luckily, I also had family, my, my, my parents, my, my grandparents, my siblings. We were all sort of tr- trained coming up that we, we owe things. We, we are, um, service is one of the things that, that we grew up with. We watched, we watched our elders provide service and do a lot of giving. And so we, we recognize that if we receive things, we've got to give things. And so that was an area that I was able to just naturally give to. And I, it, it just happened like that. Wow. Well, one of the things that I love about your story, I mean, um, you know, DE&I is such a common thing to be a topic to be discussed in businesses today mm-hmm. uh, for, for many reasons. We certainly have a ton of work yet to be done. Absolutely. Um, but it's so refreshing that it's it's commonplace. But I love that your career and experience spans a length of time. You know, when you got into this work, it wasn't it wasn't kind of like the topic du jour or the thing that every company knew that they needed to do a better job with and and to figure out how to. Can you tell us a bit about how you've seen that change over, you know, over the time that you've been been working in this area? I can, and it's interesting too, I think. So, when I when I first started in this area and like you just said, it 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 companies didn't really recognize the need institution, higher education institutions recognized it more because they had students coming, students from all different backgrounds. So they really understood it a lot more. And again, it was, it was minority affairs at that time. And we, we, we learned a lot. We recognized a lot. And then working with the general public, working with organizations, we also started recognizing how we might have to change and adjust our messages so that people would hear it a lot easier. Because sometimes the information, it is it can be a little difficult to hear. And what we really want to do is we really want to bring it in a way that people can understand it. People can hear it. Um, they're not going to always accept it right away, but there are some things that we learned that we could do. And so in learning that, we even, the, 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 the name even had a change. Mm. And that's when it became diversity. Okay. We started diversity and then, and inclusion. And equity has always been there, but equity was not as big a part of the conversation until that, that two years ago, Mm. three years ago with, when, 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 how do I say this? When George Floyd Mm -hmm. um, happened, that tragedy. And we literally owe so much 
to such a horrific incident that happened because people saw it. They couldn't, they didn't run from it so much. We were all captivated. We were at home. It was during COVID. And so the television was there and people around the world saw what happened. And that opened a lot more eyes. That really said to people, we've got to do something a little bit different. And a lot of organizations came on board. Now, I've got to add this piece to it, too. Mm -hmm. A lot of organizations came on board, and a lot of organizations are still on board. But you know what what happens sometimes? Over time, we forget things. And so we also see that happening a little bit. It's it's not the topic that that it was at at the very beginning when that when it first happened. Um so that that's a, that's another little path right there. Yeah. I wanted to talk about a point you made and just expand upon it a little bit talking about how the the messaging had to evolve or change and the wording had to change. <laughs> Is that referring to people who are not among marginalized groups hearing some things that are happening to marginalized groups and they feel uncomfortable from that or they Correct. don't want to they don't want to hear that negativity because it's not in their life? Correct. 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 On all points. So those who are not in the marginalized groups, those who are in the marginalized groups, me being one of them. We're, we're accustomed to this language. We're accustomed to the conversation. We live it every single day. When we were working in higher ed, in minority affairs, another topic was also there. And that topic was racism. And that is a topic that is very much associated with DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, but it's a very different topic. And so one of the things that we did recognize those the practitioners in the field is that we have to we have to somewhat get people more ready to have the more difficult conversation. You'll hear people say that DEI is a difficult conversation. You always you always hear that as a yeah. little description. And in some cases it is, it is, but in some cases it's 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 not. Um, but the conversation about racism can be can be very difficult. It's difficult for me, um, and so we recognize that we had to we had to approach it a little bit differently. And so, what we do in Max Life, and we have both conversations. But again, they're very different conversations. But we have to have the D, the diversity and equity and inclusion conversation first. We've got to have some shared understanding. We've got to have some shared meaning. And that helps us to get there. We have to have some self-exploration, some self-awareness to happen. And then we can go into people are more apt to even want to go a little bit deeper if they choose to go that way. What do you feel like is, and I, there's probably a ton of answers for this. Okay. Um, the most important or the top three or top five most important takeaways 
that someone should should get from those DEI conversations or trainings or classes? I love that question. When people come to a session like ours, they come very often thinking they're going to learn so much about other people. But we flip the script. And that's not what this is about. Mm. This is really about self-awareness. It's about knowing who you are, how you were socialized, what your thoughts are, what your beliefs are, what your behaviors are. That's really what it's about. We can only we can only change ourselves if we choose to. And we, you know, there are some things we want to change and some things we don't want to change. But that's where it where it really is. It's that self-awareness. That is the most critical piece to this conversation. And when you really begin to know who you are and where and how you were socialized and where all this stuff came from, then you can start understanding and putting things differently into place if you choose to. And it's always a choice. It's always a choice. But now you have background information that you can say, oh, that's where that came from. Wow. I didn't even recognize that. I didn't know that. But in our, in our, in, in our conversations, and what we really call them is um, conversational workshops. That's our style, conversational workshops, because you got to do some work here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't somebody just standing up in front of you and just talking. Right. You've really got to experience some things. And once you get to experience things, your mind just opens so differently Mm. and you can just recognize so much. That's one of the things that, uh, you know, you and I have had the pleasure of working together for a while and it's come up on this show that my background is also in higher ed. So how our our paths had crossed. Yes. Um, You know, uh, I would often have conversations with leaders and be like, you know, there's two ways that you can approach training really on any topic. Do you Mm want to check a box or do you want to create real change? And, um, you know, when I think when an organization is working with you, they're committed to creating real change and not just checking the box. And I've always been impressed. You go back to that, you know, it's a conversation workshop. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had the pleasure of seeing you in action in the classroom in these workshops and it really is, you have a way of engaging everybody and making everybody feel a part of it. Can you tell us how your style, I mean, I can imagine when you started doing this work, like that, that had to be kind of a hard thing to learn how to do. Like, how did you develop that skill? And, um, you know, making, I can imagine some people that have very differing opinions than you, um, Mm -hmm. making Mm -hmm. them feel a part of a conversation. Um, I've seen you exercise that skill. (laughs) Um, So can you tell us a little bit about it? Thank you. I appreciate your saying that. Um, It somewhat comes naturally. It actually really does. And one of the things I'm very grateful for, and I'm going to go to my grandmother for this piece. My grandmother always taught us to really meet people where they are. 
And she was one of the most non-judgmental people. Oh my goodness. And we just we just learned that from her. And then she passed it on to, to her children. And then it came to her grandchildren. And it just did. So we learned that. And so that's a, that's a natural piece of what we bring to the table. Another piece that we bring to the table is we know everyone was socialized differently. And we literally believe we are not responsible at all. We had, we had, we had nothing to do with how we were socialized. And so we're not responsible for that part of us. We are responsible for when new information comes and we understand things differently. Now the responsibility begins. But we also say that in Mac's life, part of our culture is that we are we are non-offended listeners. And so we want to hear people's stories. People have to share their stories. And people in our workshops, they learn from each other by hearing different stories. And so we have to be open to whatever a person's story is, whatever a person's experience is, we have to be open for them to to share it. That's where the learning comes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're going to be uncomfortable. Sometimes other people are going to be uncomfortable. And it's a good uncomfortableness Mm. because that, again, is where the learning comes in. If you're always comfortable, everything's going just right. Oh, everything's going to be just the same. (laughs) But that that little bit of uncomfortableness, we need that. We really need that. And that's a great way to kind of go about these types of conversations because whether it's well-intentioned or not, you have a lot of people who say, well, I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing or I'm going to say something offensive. And some people, it's a little bit of a crutch or an excuse to, to get out of having these conversations, but others truly mean it and they are they feel uncomfortable. So to be able to go into an environment where they do feel safe to say these things and have an open dialogue, I think is good. Um, so that kind of bounces me to my next point. And you can answer this question or expand okay. upon what I just said. Okay. Um, how often do you feel like people are not receptive to these types of conversations? And do you feel like that's improved over time? Let me go back to one of the things you just said. And you said a magic word. You said safe environment. So one of our, and then Stephanie, this will go back to even part of your question earlier. One of the things we recognize that we must do in the very beginning is work to create a safe space. People are, we're asking people to share, and this can be a very vulnerable time. And we've all got to recognize this. And anyone who's in our workshops, they all have to agree that they're going to make sure this is a safe space because it takes all of us to do that. So we've got to make sure it's a safe space. And then there are times when people, there are times when people come into our workshop and they don't want to be there. But someone said to them, you need to be there. And they come in with eye, not eyes, but ears just closed. <laughs> it's okay. We accept that as well. And one quick story, 
And this was one of those, it was either a three-hour workshop or a four-hour workshop. One of the leaders of a team, very closed off. And I could literally tell that they had had conversations about how they were going to behave and act in this setting. It was so clear. It was so clear. (laughs) (laughs) And that was okay because we do, we meet people where they are. After the conversation was over, he came up and he apologized. And he said, this was not at all what I thought it was going to be. And, you know, you're sitting there trying real hard to close your ears, but something's going to seep through. And he said about, about an hour in, maybe, things started really seeping well. And he said he started listening then. And he became a very, uh, a, he was a supporter. Mm-hmm. He was a supporter. Mm-hmm. And we get that often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was going to ask you um, if you had a, a general message to leaders, whether it's of a business, an organization, who don't see or understand the importance of these conversations. Now, obviously, something's working in these workshops. Mm-hmm. It's like you said, seeping through is a good word to get through those ears that are closed mm-hmm. up. But for someone going into it, it just doesn't see the value. Mm-hmm. What do you what what's your message for them? And we do have those as well. Yeah. We, we really do have those. Um, ooh, part of the message is, well, let me say this. DEI is something that really in an organization, it needs to come from the top down. The leadership needs to, to, to embrace this and not leave it up to like a grassroots kind of process, mm-hmm. don't, don't have the people who are already marginalized having to fight this, this conversation. Be a leader. Be a leader. One of the most important um, uh, characteristics, I think, of leadership is empathy. And if you have, if you have members of your workforce who have so many different backgrounds, observe, think, see how they're feeling, have that empathy, find someone to have a conversation with perhaps and say, what's going on? How can, how can we do this a little bit differently, a little bit better and be open? We need people to be open. Part of the reason why people are closed is out of fear. Mm. They don't know what this is they're not sure what what's going to come of it and they've got to be open enough to try it to try it and that's where it all begins and know this that once you try it that's not the end mm. it's a journey <laughs> <laughs> all right I love I love that you use the word empathy there, and I'll throw it back. Um, one of our earliest episodes um, when we had the Terras from Leadership Washington County in, um, one of the things that came up, you know, we were talking about what is the benefit for private organizations to go through some of these leadership programs, and one of the things we talked about was an understanding of 
the entire picture of the community mm-hmm. that you live in. Mm-hmm. Because if you're in a leadership position, just like you said, you can't help how you've been socialized. You can't help what you've been exposed to. But going through programs like that and finding opportunities to know what is the reality of the community that you live in. Um, you know, there are people that go through programs like that and come out and say, I had no idea there were homeless students in our community. I had no idea there were people that live in my town that don't have running water. Um, every single experience that you learn through a, a program like that, you might have somebody on your workforce that's experiencing that and having Absolutely. empathy. You know, once you know those things, like you said, you can't hold it against somebody for not being aware. But once you, once the information comes to you, absolutely, um, then finding a way to have that empathy. So I, I just love when when these episodes start to tie together and we can throw <laughs> it back to things. And there was a component of your answer to my question that I kind of knew in my head a little bit already. Where it's how can you be a good leader if you don't? How how can you call yourself a leader if you don't have that empathy? Right. Mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. something you have mm-hmm. to work on. Mm-hmm. Because a leader, by definition, should have it at least, should. at least in our opinion on this podcast. So <laughs> we agree. Yes, we do and, agree. And empathy for the fact that even you know, especially if you're a business owner, empathy for the fact that nobody else in your business is going to be as invested as you are. Absolutely. Um, and empathy for the fact that they have other things happening, Absolutely. and Absolutely. At, at different times, those are going to be competing priorities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I want to come back to something you just said as well talking about the community, communities are changing. All we have to do is just walk out our doors, look at different, look at the different restaurants that are popping up. They're popping up for a reason because there are people to support that. Our communities are becoming more and more global. And as a leader who might have a workforce, who who will have a workforce, where are your workers going to come from? Who are your workers going to be? They're going to come from, hopefully, your community. And the community, again, it's different than it was 20 years ago. My husband and I, we were driving down the street one day. And again, he's from Frederick. And um, as we were just driving downtown, we were looking out the window. And he said, Tony, look at this. This is so different. And you can just see, and we love it. We we absolutely love it. Um, different cultures are coming. You've got to have change. Yeah. And people are afraid of that too. That's a whole nother conversation, change. And I think there might be also a fear, and I think these people might be a little bit more well-intentioned mm-hmm. with their thought process is, you don't necessarily have to be perfect. You just have to be willing to listen and to try and to, I think, obviously accept people. Uh, And again, I think you made a a great point throughout all of this is kind of meet them where they are. Mm -hmm. And that goes both ways, right? Um, If you have a very diverse workforce, you have to be willing to hear these people out because if you are a, a white business owner, you grew up, very likely dealing with different challenges and a completely different lifestyle Mm -hmm. than they did. And so you have to be willing to hear these people out if there's something going on in that business. If someone is using certain language that's not appropriate or treating someone a certain way and that person might not even understand what they're doing is wrong. And that's where I think the open conversations come in. Is that fair to say that it, you know, it's, it's hard to be perfect? 
not only is it hard to be perfect, but we're not going to be perfect. Let me let me add that piece too. Yeah. I want to come back and say this though. Um sometimes we think I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to pick on you just for a minute, okay? Can I do that for yeah. Can I do that? Go ahead. Okay, I'm asking. <laughs> so if you if you have a a, a white business owner, a mm-hmm. white leader, and they have people of color in their organization, actually they may have had a similar background. They actually Okay. Okay. (laughs) I had, I had someone say to me once, um, he said, I I, I grew up very poor and I can imagine that you can relate to that. And that was a white person said that to me. Mm. And I said, Hmm, I'll leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) I won't say what I said, but I'll just leave it at that. But we, we make those types of assumptions sometimes And uh, we don't know until we get to know people, their backgrounds. Um, I want to go back to this too. And sometimes people do think, well, I might say the wrong thing. Of course, in our workshops, we have created a safe space. So we're not worried about saying the wrong thing there. But then I say this to people. If what you are saying or asking is coming from the right place, from the heart, it's okay. People who people actually want to share information about themselves, but make sure that you are really interested, that you don't have a another hidden a hidden agenda or something <laughs> with the question. And if you do it and approach it that way, you're gonna be okay. You're gonna be okay. And if someone does find the question a little um, off-putting, then they're going to let you know. And then you just say, oh, I didn't mean it to be. I'm really extremely interested. Mm. I think that's where the two-way street comes in a little bit, where intention absolutely matters. Mm -hmm. If that person is upset and they express that, don't you can't turn around don't turn around and get upset at them right absolutely because your absolutely. intention was good their intention and in being honest <laughs> with you is good it's okay for us to talk that mm-hmm. out because uh, i think so many people they they want to get defensive when someone calls them out for saying something when there was no malicious intent on either end it's on either end. someone says the wrong thing hey we you know some some type of verbiage or or something absolutely. and it's like we don't this is the word we prefer now mm-hmm, for this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, don't jump down their throat. Mm-hmm. That's how I was raised and and all that. I, I think it's, they're not coming at you. It's, we can correct these things, right? Because as you get more information in your Absolutely. life, it's okay Absolutely. to learn from that. And I think there's plenty of bad habits people get into and um, stuff from when you grow up is different when you get older. And, you know, I'm 25 and I've learned that. So it's, uh, it's, it's going to happen to all of us. It's a matter of just, Again, the intention and the effort to put in for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're all going to make mistakes. I've been doing this for so many years. And guess what? I make mistakes. Okay. (laughs) So it's there. It's there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You you spoke in the beginning about, um, you know, there there was a period of time and we're we're all working from home and there's Mm -hmm. maybe not quite as much on our plates. So... Um, DEI conversations started to rise, rise to the top. And then, you know, th- uh, 
at this point, there's so much going on in businesses and everybody's getting getting back to that busy, more chaotic mm-hmm. way of life and lifestyle. Um, you know, we talk a lot about on th- this podcast about the EOS model. And one of the things that IDEA, EOS is Entrepreneurial Operating System. And one of the things that EOS has taught us is to, you know, focus on the biggest issues and the biggest priorities in your business first. You know, don't spend your time on things that don't matter. So what advice would you give to a business leader when they know they have to prioritize DEI, um, but there are other competing priorities? You know, I, I'm going to assume that you would agree with the statement that the time to address DEI is before you have a DEI problem. Um, You're assuming correctly. Right. So how do you prioritize that maybe when you're not feeling the pain of it yet against other things that you might be feeling the pain of? Okay. Thank you for that question. Um, Because I think probably a lot of people will think that way. And when they think DEI, the the words or the, the image problem might come into play. I want you to throw that out the window. That's really what I want you to do. Because I want you to think, when you think DEI, think Think forward movement. Think a better bottom line. Think collaboration. Think better creativity. Think greater innovation. That's what you should think when you think DEI. When DEI comes into your mind, that's what I want you to think about. And so when you, when you think about it that way, the correct way, then it's at the top. It's, it's literally there because what does your organization want? You want a better bottom line somewhere. And so DEI can give you that, but you've got to embrace it the correct way. I, lo- I love that answer because now DEI is part of the solution to any problem. Absolutely. So whatever... Absolutely. Even if DEI isn't on your issues list, and that, that's another EOS term... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, probably DEI is part of the solution to all of the problems on your issues list. It really is. It really is. And, you know, DEI intersects with so much. And we talk about, we talk about leadership and we talk about, um, we talk about um, developing our employees as well. And so we, all the conversations, I'm going to say this word, and it's a word that I don't agree with, but it's what people know it as soft skills. Anything but. (laughs) (laughs) They are vital skills that we must have. And so DEI intersects with all of that. Communications, everything, everything, Mm -hmm. DEI intersects with it. Good point. I wanted to ask you, because I feel like a lot of these conversations, it's this person doesn't agree with this and this person's doing this. Uh, I wanted to ask you, what do you think is the most fulfilling part of what you do? Oh, okay. Earlier, someone said aha moments. Stephanie, I think that was you. We love aha moments. We love when, when people recognize something and can verbalize it. And then take it a step further. And if we're in the organization, they can look at a policy, a procedure, or a practice and do some connecting there and say, oh, we need to make this adjustment. 
We've been doing this this way for umpteen years, thinking it was the way to do it, but that aha moment, and now we change. Hmm. We love, we just relish in aha moments. Love that. Love that. Um, yeah, I mean, we, <laughs> we, 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 we talked we, earlier we the, about uh, yeah. <laughs> spin, spinning um, how some of these episodes tend to spin together. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention Rick Weldon's episode um, a few episodes ago. And you had uh, the honor of co-chairing along with him, County Executive Jessica Fitzwater's transition team. Um, and I think he described himself as the monopoly man with the monocle half <laughs> of that. <laughs> <laughs> of that uh, effort. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and, and what it was like to be to be a part of that? I, I love how Rick described himself. I have no description for myself. <laughs> um, it was an honor. It, it really was an honor. And it was an honor that when I was first asked, I literally had to think about it because I knew that it was going to be very, it was a commitment. It was a commitment. And I actually leaned into my, my friend, Rick Weldon, to talk about it before I made my final decision. And he helped me to reach it. So a shout out to Rick as well. It was a wonderful experience, though. As, as much as I was there to, to lend support and give support, I also learned a lot. And I I had an opportunity to see Frederick County in a different way. I appreciated getting to know some of the the back end, I'll call it back end of things that I, I just wasn't aware of. I really appreciated how our, our county executive, she did something different. She, she, she had transition committees. And what she really wanted was to have a variety of voices. We had an opportunity to bring people into the room who had never been in the room before. Frederick has so much talent. And a lot of the talent, and I'm going to say the marginal, the talent that comes from people who are marginalized, Frederick doesn't get to to recognize it or know it. That helped to bring it all into, no, not all, I take that totally back, but some into one room. And so people could see it. And it was different. I've been in a lot of group settings, and that was that was probably the most diverse setting that I had been in, in Frederick County on the business side. Hmm. I know it was, not probably, I know it was. Now, what we have to make sure we do is to not let that go. Hmm. And so Jessica has a good team with her. So you feel like having that group allowed conversations that would have just never taken place had you had not had all those different viewpoints in there? Absolutely. Yeah. I said in enough of the different conversations from the different committees and I heard things and I knew that some of the things that I heard, if the group had not been as diverse, the topic 
what was shared would never have been brought up I'm, in some cases, not all, but in some cases. Yeah. And that's totally fair because what good is it to not hear from everybody, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like where, where is the value in this? How can you, like, how can you say that's okay to just not listen to everyone? Like, we all live there, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> I live over that's in right. Frederick. Like I, mm-hmm. so I see it and I get okay. it and it's, okay. it's like, I, it, and again, that's, that's just one of those things. If, if you're, you grow up a certain way and you know, you're wired a certain way, you have that empathy, mm-hmm. it's kind of even hard to fathom why you wouldn't want to at least hear somebody out. And we, we talk about that on this show all the time, just if there's a workplace conflict mm-hmm. and you want to hear from people involved, you want to hear why this is happening, what's going on, why would you ever just exclude someone from the conversation if they're being affected by it? So that's great on her part. She was willing to bring all these people in and and let them talk because we all live in that community. So why not <laughs> bring everybody in? And it's 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 God. every episode. I we hit a moment where it's like this sounds like common sense, but it is not common enough. <laughs> it's it's yeah. really not common enough, and we've got to make sure. Even though we had it then, we've got to do what we need to do to make sure it it doesn't go away. Yeah. And we've got to keep it there. What a powerful leadership lesson and message to, one, recognize that you don't know everything and you haven't heard everyone's opinion. And two, to seek out trying to genuinely listen Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. everyone. And I think, you know, to your point of we can't let that stop. You can't do that in the beginning. Now remembering that every single time there's a decision or a problem that comes across your plate, remembering that I can't probably can't make this decision alone if it impacts a wide variety of people because I can't possibly understand from my single viewpoint how this is going to impact a large group of people. I love what you just said. We talk about inclusion. And one of the things we do in Max Life is we have a variety of different assessments. And literally what you just said is a part of an assessment that we have so that people can kind of rate their mindset for inclusion. And we, we, we've got to just simply be, be open to bringing more into the, into the fold, into the conversation. And how often do you actually do that? Mm-hmm. That's a question that's on there. Yep. Thank and, you for that. And none of these things just happen out of thin air, right? It takes a leader to, or, and hopefully it takes, it will be the leader facilitating these things. Cause like you said, you don't want it to have to be that grassroots effort of a group trying to push somebody to say, Hey, we probably need this. This is important. Um, you want it to be a leader who, who gets it and is, if they don't get it yet, at least be willing to listen and then, you know, be the one to lead the charge there. At least be willing to listen. And someone who feels it might have to tap the leader on the shoulder and, and say something to him. But hopefully that leader will, will listen. That's what we need. That's, that's really what we need. And it, it has to be intentional. Change when it comes to this topic is not going to just occur. If it were, we've been in our country long enough, how many hundreds and hundreds of years, it would be happening. It has to, it's intentional. Hmm. I think that's a good note we can leave it on there. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, definitely a important conversation and a necessary one, and one we haven't really hit on enough in this podcast. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think we had a like a kind of a recap show a few episodes ago, and we talked about this is one of the topics we want to hit on because we just haven't talked about it enough on here. Um, so I'm glad you could come in and provide your expertise on it, uh, and you know we could talk about this. Uh, as broad as we want or as detailed as we want and <laughs> something going forward. I think uh, it's important to have conversations on for sure. So thank you so much. I oh. appreciate, I appreciate the invitation and I really do appreciate the opportunity to just talk about this topic. Absolutely. Yeah, thank with you. Your, with your audience. Thank you. Yep. Thank you very much. Tony Bowie, everybody. Thank you once again for your, your time and your words. Uh, we really do appreciate it. Thank you, Steph, once again for being here, being a great co-host as always. And lastly, I am Ryan Stickle, and we'll be back with you soon here in a couple weeks. Once again, you know the drill. It's another great guest and more great leadership conversations. See you next time.